Hello and welcome to AV Forums Podcast for Wednesday the 25th of November. The year is almost over and joining me is Assistant Editor Steve Withers. You sly dog, you've got me monologuing. And News Editor Mark Hodgkinson. My God, you've gotten fat. I'm not sure whether those are quotes or not. Thanks to these guys who gave us five star ratings. Uh, ben Elgar said, fist class podcast. I think you meant a first class podcast there. Yeah? Uh, I don't have thousands to spend on AV systems and I don't like writing on forums, but I've been listening to this lot for years. Very entertaining. Thank you very much, Ben. Pingu98, entertaining and informative discussion with all things cinema and commercial AV. You're not afraid to play devil's advocate and hold realistic facts against manufacturers. Hyperbole. Yeah. Menkel Barr, I think I'm saying that right, said, uh, since I subscribed to this podcast, I've learned a lot about AV. What, this podcast? Um, thank you for an hour-long funny lesson. Uh, you're more than welcome. Sergeant Zim, a uh, long-time listener. You've helped me avoid making another early adopter mistake on the TV front. Keep up the good work. So glad to be of uh, service there. Which Doctor Ash says, up-to-date AV news with the occasional rant. I can't think what they're talking about. Who's talking about there, Steve? Uh, more like you're listening to a few friends discussing their favourite hobby, unlike a lot of alternatives that are dry and boring. Thank you, Witch Doctor Ash. Uh, Mark Tune says, thank you. Well, he actually said quite a bit. So thank you, Mark Tunes, for your lengthy comments. A bit too lengthy to read out here. And finally, Matty's 30 said, been an avid listener to this podcast for years, best AV forums podcast." Fist class pidcast. <laughs> Fist class pidcast. There you go. Thank you very much. We've read you all out. Um, that's everybody up to date. Thank you very much for the five star ratings. Like we say, it helps us get up the charts, get on the front page in iTunes, and be noticed by other people and get more people involved in this hobby that we all love. And if you're new to the podcast, welcome along. We hope you enjoy it. So, Mark, tell us about what we can win in the current competitions. Three really good movies. Well, two really good movies and one all right movie. Uh, all on Blu ray. First, we've got The Lady Killers the original which is open to all members and closes on the 27th of November then we've got Edward Scissorhands again open to all members and that one closes three days later on the 30th of November and the Close Encounters Blu-ray which is active members only and that's the 7th of December closing Close Encounters can't beat that and it looks, can't beat that. It looks really really nice on, on Blu-ray as well doesn't it Steve it's uh quite a nice package um, and the packaging as well they, over quite a few films the catalogue films from Colombia they, they all look nice in that packaging and um, all had excellent transfers I'm thinking a taxi driver and a couple others off the top of my head Steve. certainly any one of those films you mentioned Phil would be better than Sony slash Colombia's initial slate of Ultra HD yeah sorry, sorry we did that last week and you I missed it, it. I'm just you, mentioning you wanted to be in, hey you wanted to be on holiday you don't get to do both you don't get to rant, Steve. No, you don't get to rant. You can rant if you come on the podcast, or you can go on holiday. You choose holiday. Any winners, Mark? No winners. Not this week. Everyone's a winner who visits AV forums, of course. So. In, a wider, <laughs> in a wider sense, yes. Let's move things on swiftly. We're leading up to Black Friday, because Black Friday is the Friday after Thanksgiving. It's traditionally an American thing. It's been brought over here to the UK. And I noticed that and the big retailer that originally brought it over, uh, which was Asda, which is owned by Walmart, which is an American brand, they brought it over, but they are not doing Black Friday this year. They've, they've had enough of, of it. They had a lot of negative publicity last year, didn't they, with people rampaging through stores and with um, Polaroid TVs. riots. <laughs> Polaroid, <yeah. laughs> Polaroid TVs. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's not worth getting a black eye over. No, no even if they're giving them away. Don't bother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it was it was definitely an American thing, and I suppose also partly because of Amazon, I guess as well. They also do it, don't they? It's become a, a massive. I mean, I've been talking to over the last few weeks. I happen to. I've been to quite a few press release launches and uh, uh, met quite a few manufacturers, um, and they are all gearing up for Black Friday. It's become as big an, a bigger deal here as in the states, and 
tying in with Christmas, it, it's a sort of a second peak uh, in terms of sales for them. But you see, um, uh, quite a few awesome. retailers would say the opposite, though, Steve, and certainly, you know, um, some meetings that I've been in with retailers who have mentioned Black Friday, and they see it as a negative because everybody expects a shed load of money off stuff on Black Friday. They'll say that, and that's them done with the Christmas shopping. They then don't go back and, and buy anything or uh, buy the big ticket items towards Christmas. Maybe it's not so good for retailers and good for manufacturers who shift lots of units. <laughs> Black Friday lasts about two weeks now, though, doesn't it? It's not it's not a one-day event. You have a, the week leading up to Black Friday deals and then a week afterwards. With well, I mean, five years ago, we didn't have this nonsense, did we? You know, no. it, it didn't happen over here. It, it's very much an American thing that's been imported. It was Asda that imported it. Funny enough, they're turning around and saying they're not doing it because of the bad publicity and all the rest of it. But you got to think as well that maybe it was a drain on, on their sales. You know, maybe True. it was... Also, the publicity last year and the negative publicity last year was very selective. I mean, it seemed to be the same store. And it was always a very, very um, deliberate angle. So you, you couldn't see that. Actually, there were only about 20 people there anyway. I don't think it was quite the mass chaos and people bunching their up in the face for a TV that it was made out to be. Um, you know, I mean, everyone buy, most people buy online to get it cheap from somewhere online anyway. So I don't know. I think, I, I mean, yeah, I can... Uh, I, what makes me, well, I mean, I think you mentioned it, Mark. It goes on for so long now, you're going to have Purple Thursday and Cheeky Red Monday and it keeps on going through until Christmas, doesn't it? Yeah, Cyber Wednesday. Is it not Cyber yeah. Monday? I think it's, it's Cyber, it's yeah. Cyber, Cyber Monday. Monday. Cyber yeah. Monday, yeah. Sometimes we champion the consumer and say, yes, you know, we, we should be seeing discounts and all the rest of it. But actually, if you, if, if you look at, I think the TV market's a, a prime example, even though they're fighting over Polaroid TVs. Uh, the battle to the bottom, it does nobody any favours. And, and then events like this, where they're basically giving stuff away doesn't really do many favours either, does it? So I'm struggling to see where the plus points are with Black Friday, Mark. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a big fan. If it wasn't for the fact I've got a trial Prime membership running out on the fourth of December, I probably wouldn't take any interest whatsoever. But there might be a few, <laughs> a few items that um, that I can get for Christmas presents. But I don't, you know, I, I bought I bought something for myself last week without even the thought that Black Friday was coming up. Like, probably a device that might be discounted, but I, you know, I just don't care. You've got to be pretty lucky to win these things as well. I mean, if you, I'm taking like Amazon as a prime example on, the, sorry about the pun, pun there. <laughs> and on online. And then if you look at the shops, you know, you've got to queue up, get in there, fight to get what you want. Or you're online and it's a bit of a lottery as to whether you're successful in bagging that bargain or not. Yeah, because there's only a limited amount of these. Yeah really good offers available so unless you're like super lucky or super fast with your refresh button you, you're going to miss out anyway so you just end up wasting your time time I mean, is yeah. money just but things are cheap enough anyway aren't yeah, they? i was going to say general. things tvs are so cheap as it is there's such low margins on things now anyway that you know and the competition is so is so so heavy online that you know things are fairly cheap anyway just getting into this is very rubbish rubbish it's all rubbish <laughs> Like yeah, I'm sure there's I'm sure there is good things to be picked up and there will be good deals available, but they're just headlining. Everything else is just the end of line stuff they're just trying to shift or stuff that's not selling in the first place. If you manage to bag a bargain, good luck to you. It's personally it's not something um I'm gonna do. Normally I'm I'm sorted by by a bit now and actually I am kinda sorted for Christmas now. So uh I tend to get out of the way early. I don't know about you, Steve. Uh yeah, what I do is I don't buy any presents for anyone. That way I'm not worried about it. <laughs> that is that is a good publicity, Steve. <laughs> Fail safe. At least, at least you're so honest. Up, at least you're the honest. Presented their Christmas lists on Friday, so. Uh, I mean, yeah. the, the best thing ever invented was uh, Amazon um, gift cards. <laughs> so sorry, family. That's what you're getting this year. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy. It was in your family as well. That's what all I want. 
Yeah, yeah. it's the way, definitely the way forward. Otherwise, yeah. they just get bought something rubbish, don't you? That you don't really want. No, no, no definitely no, Christmas present. Friends and family listening. <laughs> Mark, it's a, it's a thought that counts, isn't it? No. Uh, let's move on. We talked about the high sense XT 910. We're not going to bang on a bit because we're going to get in for a review in the next few weeks. Um, I notice it's gone back another week there, Steve, in terms of uh, possibly the review sample, but it's coming through. We talked about it last week. You weren't here. You're the only one here that's actually stood in front. Well, I did at CES, but um, I didn't pay that much attention. To yeah, be honest. I do like the irony of you guys talking about something that none of you had seen. <laughs> Yeah, well, there was lots of talk around about it, wasn't there? I mean, a new brand and, and, and all the rest of it. And, you know, the forums. I mean, there's people on the forums claiming it's the best thing since sliced bread, and nobody on the forums has seen it. Um, there seems to be quite a bit of hype behind this TV. Uh, but you did stand in front of it. You've had a bit of play about with the menu system and so on. So what did you think? My, my limited experience, I'm quite impressed. I mean, you say there's a lot of hype. And in fairness to Hisense, they haven't been doing any of the hype. I think uh, the hype is kind of self-generating itself, which I guess is the kind of hype you want. Um, and that's mainly because, at least on paper, in terms of specifications, it looks like a really, really solid TV. And it's at a really, really good price. So, you know, you're thinking 10-bit uh, panel, VA, um, 900 nits to peak brightness, HDR support, HDMI 2.0, and apparently they're going to be an upgrade to 2.0A um, next year. You've got direct LED backlight. Um, it is curved, so, you know, whatever. But, um, you know, looking at the spec sheet alone, it's not dissimilar to... Um, well, the, the JS9500, basically, but for a fraction of the money. Which, so, is, uh, which is the Samsung, for those that are not up the on Samsung, yes, the Samsung jet, which is their yeah, beats it on paper, doesn't it? Yeah, it's look, it looks awesome. And having seen it, uh, you know, albeit briefly at the launch, um, it did look very good. I mean, it reminded me, in fact, I've got to be honest, it reminded me a lot of, um, of the JS9500. Um, one thing I will say is at the launch, they had it on like a, a special stand, um, an upright stand uh, on a sort of a pole which is not the standard it comes with. My one comment about the actual unit you get is it comes with a kind of a weird stand that puts you at quite a, quite a steep angle, which they seem to feel is, is ideal for viewing. But unless you've got a very low TV stand, I don't think that's the case. Um, no, you could always put a book or something underneath the legs at the back. Much. It looks, I don't think it was that steep an angle. Photograph you look at. Some photographs it looks fine, others it looks quite steep. Now, I'm not quite sure until we get it in, we won't really know for sure. Um, that's not unusual because obviously Panasonic have been doing the same thing with their well, team. Sony had the monolith. Sony well, yeah. And Sony with the monolith, yeah. So it's not the first time this has been done. Uh, and depending, I guess it depends on where your, how high your TV stand is to start with. My mine's actually relatively low relative to the to the viewing seating position, so it might not be so bad. But yeah, and it's interesting. Although obviously you could always wall mount it. It's got 4x400B mounts anyway, it's standard. So you could do that. Um, I had a little play around with the remote control. I had a little look at the at the controls on it. Um, the smart platform is relatively simple, but it's got it's, it's certainly got iPlayer and it's got Netflix 4K. It will have Amazon Instant 4K soon, and also uh, it can support YouTube 4K. So you know, in terms of accessing current 4K content, excellent. It had a full CMS in there, ten uh, two and ten point white balance control. Uh, so again, obviously we don't know how well they're going to actually work, but oh, they're there. Work. <laughs> yeah. So in that sense, you know, you can calibrate it. Uh, it, you know, it had everything. It was quite a responsive menu too, which is nice to see compared to um, some of the other um, systems this year. So, yes, yeah. <laughs> and Philips, of course. Um, so all in all, it's everything so far looks good. Um, you know, um, I think in terms of specs, in terms of price, 
terms of um, the, the features on board, in terms of the picture quality that I saw, and in terms of the available calibration controls, I, I can't fault it. Um, obviously, we'll have to wait till we get one in for review in a week or two. But so far, you know, if it is as good as it looks, then I think Hisense have got a killer product here. And they have, I mean, they're going to be selling them faster than they can make them. I think we need a little bit of um, tempering down on the expectation level as well, a little bit here, Steve. I mean, um, some people will get carried away and some people have gotten carried away in the forums in terms of, you know, thinking that this is the next best thing since sliced bread. And actually, there's no such thing as a perfect TV. And, and sometimes when you get hype building like this and then something comes to light, like people can see banding or there's DSE or whatever, then all of a sudden it's the worst thing since sliced bread. There has to be that temper in there, yeah. doesn't it? You have to keep realistic expectation levels. Yeah, I mean... You just mentioned banding there, Phil. It's got a direct LED backlight, as has the JS9500, and that had a bit of banding. So those kind of things could be um, could be present. Obviously, we just won't know till we get one in for review. We need to think, do things like measure the actual size of the color gamut because there have been some um, conflicting information regarding that. Um, uh, but, yeah, I mean, uh, what I will say is I don't think I've ever seen such a positive response on the forums to a new manufacturer as we have to this this particular product. It's been, it's been quite remarkable, the... Um, the kind of response and the enthusiasm amongst um, Navy Forum members I th- I think it's a new name in, in the marketplace, which is good, I think. I think, Steve, some of the, the rub of that is because recently we've been saying goodbye to a hell of a yeah. lot of brands. Um, so it's nice to have somebody new to talk about. It's true. I mean, this this year we've lost Toshiba and Sharp. Yeah. Um, we're basically down to the big four of Samsung, LG, Panny and, and Sony with uh, Philips kind of TP Vision. Uh, re-entering the marketplace in the last couple of years, so yeah, a, a new name and a new um, name in the, in the marketplace is good news. I think uh, coming in with a decent product and good pricing again would drive some competition, which is also good. You don't want to end up a situation where you've only got like one, you know, two or three manufacturers left, because it that kind of diminishes the amount of competition we get. Well, it does. Yeah, the, the other thing that we mentioned uh, last week as well, Steve, was the fact that I think what surprised people is that High Sense have come in at a reasonably high level in the market in terms of not just price, but also in terms of features. I mean, it's a fully spec TV, the, the mm. 910. It's coming in at two grand. It's definitely ruffling the feathers of the big boys. Whereas I think a lot of people, myself included, when we first heard of Hisense two or three years ago, we thought that they would be in the 400, 500 pound price bracket to start with, to build their brand. Yeah. But they're doing it the completely opposite way. Yeah, it was interesting. If you talk to them about it, they'll say, well, you know, A, and you've really mentioned this earlier on in this podcast, Phil, there ain't any money in the bottom part of the market. You know, margins are too tight. You know, there's no money to be made anyway. But also, they regard themselves in China, in their home country, as a premium brand. We may not be familiar with the name here, but in China, they're a premium brand, and they want to position themselves as an equally premium brand in the UK, albeit with some you know competitive pricing, of course. But um, I think that's the right approach to take. I don't, I don't think there's any point just you know charging down the bottom end of the marketplace because that's been tried before by Toshiba, for example, um, and even Panasonic to a certain degree. So I think I think their, their, their approach is quite quite sensible, you know? and they're also not trying to, despite all the excitement that, that's generated been generated by this by this um, recent article and, and the launch of this of the XT910, they themselves are being quite you know not not, not overselling themselves. They're not trying to promise the world. They're just trying to generate some good word of mouth and organically grow. Um, they're not going to go straight up and try and compete with Samsung, for example. They're, they're just trying to quietly grow their business in the UK um, with some decent products and some good pricing. I think that's the right approach to make. 
Yep, so it'll be interesting to see uh, when that comes in. And I think we're hoping for the 3 2 1 Dusty Bin TV to come in from them as well. Probably now, that is mega cheap, isn't it? <laughs> well, 499, it, it it seems to be competing with the sort of 799 major brands. So it'll be interesting to see how, how that one fares out as well, uh, Mark. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that one will be coming, hopefully, arriving this week. So review should be um, about 14, 14 days from now. If you, if you put that down, we should kind of hit that, I think. In the meantime, you have had a look at the Fire TV. It's finally turned up. I've never known a PR company to do a launch and then run out of stock so quick as uh, as their PR company did. Slightly ironic with it being Amazon <laughs> as well. Um, but you got it in now. What's what's your first impressions? You only just got it out of the box. Uh, a few yeah, oh, it's been it's been plugged in since Friday, but I haven't had a great deal of use until this morning. Um, first impressions over the other one is it's quicker around the menus, really, really fast. It's very zippy, so it's got um, obviously an improved processor on board. Um, and other than that, it's you know it's pretty much the same deal. I've got obviously all the contents the same. The great advantage, of course, is we've got 4K Ultra HD streaming via Netflix and Amazon now. Uh, it's been one of two apps added since we last reviewed it. Uh, it's like uh, it's the UK TV Play services and um, oh, uh, what's it called? The ITV uh, Hub is just launched, and so there's one of the two new apps to go out. Um, so I've had a look at. Um, Netflix and Amazon 4K this morning uh, and slightly disappointed to note although I did know this already there is no 24p mode in the user menus and the vast majority of what Amazon sends out they send at 24p and I know for a fact um, having analyzed uh, the streams through other sources so you've got 1080p sorry you've got 4K at 50 or 4K at 60 hertz or an auto mode which just goes to 60 hertz anyway so we've got jittery video playback now there is a developer mode you can open up just with a couple of button clicks uh, that cycles through some unavailable resolutions through the user menus which includes a 24p mode for both 4k and 1080p so you can actually set it to that before you go in to watch whatever you want to watch through netflix or amazon and get and get better playback it's not altogether smooth because it's not when we say 24p, what we're talking about is 23.976 frames per second, <laughs> in actual fact. Uh, obviously, 24p is a bit more catchy. Um, but it does. It seems to be doing it at exactly 24p. So there's a jitter every what, 40 seconds or so. Um, not so noticeable on static scenes, but when it's panning, you'll notice it. It's kind of a frame skip. Yeah, drop. there were... A f- I used to see the odd, particularly Region B, always Region B, actually, Blu-ray that had was actually at 24p exactly and not... 23.9, was it 92? 976, isn't it? Yeah, there is the odd bit of content out there at 24p exactly, but not a lot. Most of it is 23.976. Mm, yeah, yeah. Anything, yeah, anything that comes from the US is that for sure. Still early days, and it's a great little device, and it's got you know loads, loads of key services, but it, unless you specifically need to upgrade to 4K, um, then it, there's no need to go and rush out and, you know, buy a new one if you've already got a fire tv uh and i'm disappointed that the 24p modes aren't available i've contacted amazon this morning to see see why they aren't in the user menus or why they can't even get it to automatically um switch refresh rates because that is in android 5.0 as part of the operating system which is what the amazon fire tv is based on um so hopefully we'll get a response and you can do something about it because at the moment it, you know it's just it's just slightly you've got that micro stutter the three two pull down it's, it's really noticeable particularly on netflix it's not so bad on amazon at, at 60 hertz but um on netflix it's there's, there's a real jitter to it and you know it puts me off 
market the people that are going to be most interested in this Fire TV box and, and essentially you should be sending it to me is uh, people with 4K projectors. Yeah. Is it, why, why projectors and not televisions? Well, most TVs have got built-in apps, haven't they, now? So a lot of them have... This is HGVC true. Yeah, this is true. I've not thought of that, yeah. Not being a projector owner, that's true. Yes. Um, so projectors, they don't have the apps and that kind of thing. But, um, you know, ideally, well, you know, it's... Uh, well, I'd say in that case, if that is a, a concern and you're not bothered about Amazon and you're only interested in Netflix, then the uh, Shield Android Shield TV... NVIDIA Android Shield TV is a better option because that has got 23.976 available in the um, in the user menus and it works nicely. Otherwise, uh, I don't know. I'd, I'd be tempted to hang on because if you, you know, assuming as a projector owner you're a bit of a video file, um, then you will you will notice the stutter. So mm, I'd be tempted to hold on and and see what else is going to come out. Although you can't think there'll be a lot of 4K players that's going to have Amazon on. You know, it'll be this and probably just the Roku. I don't know whether Nvidia are going to land it or not. I know they're trying. So, um, so if you want Amazon and Netflix, then go with the Fire TV. If you, if you just Netflix 4K for your projector, get the Shield. Exactly. In a nutshell. Okay. Cool. Let's move things on. And another announcement that Steve was at to have a look at Sky Q. Indeed, which had been um, been traded for quite some time, but at least a couple of weeks they've been saying, you know, oh, a big announcement coming, and we're all thinking like, yeah, it, it better be 4K because if it's just a you know, an app or something. Everyone's going to be pretty annoyed. Uh, and when you got there, there was a giant, um, giant uh, like marquee they'd build and everything. They must have cost quite a bit this launch. So you kind of figured it's obviously something relatively big. And I think it was big ultimately. Although the mention of 4K only came right at the very end. It was a single sentence at the end of the launch, um, just saying that uh, the new box is Ultra HD 4K ready and they'll be launching a service at some point next year. That was it. That was literally it. I mean, there was a bit more information we gleaned from them later, um, but on the whole, they were they were generally avoiding talking about 4K in any detail at all. I mean, what they're presenting, I don't think is anything revolutionary. I think pretty much everyone else has been doing it for some time now, and they're playing catch up to a degree. But yeah. the platform itself, it certainly looks slick. Uh, it's basically designed to give you access to as much content as possible, both in terms of broadcast, but also um, catch up and recorded content. And also to give you access to more, uh, well, have more TVs and more devices, you know, attached to Sky. And so I think you can do up to three televisions and two connected devices at one time. So five in total. The box itself is a two terabyte hard drive. What was it? Was it twelve tuners? Twelve tuners. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of tuners out there. A lot of tuners. Um, and and the box itself is about half the size of the old box. It looks a lot sleeker, a lot more modern. The new remote control with um, a swipe feature and we'll have voice control added next year. There'll also be a new app for it. And um, SkyQ will actually sit alongside the existing uh, Sky Plus and now well, TV services. So it's it, not going to replace them yet. I mean, It has to do there. that though, doesn't it? Because this is going to be expensive. This is not... This is a premium service. Yeah, it's that, a premium that, service, no question about it. And obviously, I think ultimately it will become the only service available, but they can't just make everyone move across instantly. Well, um, if, you, so, if you think about the box, right, 12 tuners, 2 terabytes of uh, storage, that's a £400, £500 box right yeah, there, retail. Yeah. You know what I mean? So they're not going to be giving the box away for free. So when they've done this in the past, when they added the, the one terabyte box that I had and the, the two terabyte box and so on, that was £399 to get that box. You know, there wasn't any discounting or anything like that that went on with it. So this is going to be expensive right from the start. And you're going to have to buy the box. And there's not just the one box, the Q Silver. There's also the, the mini Q boxes. Minis, yeah. um, That'd be £100 a pop, probably. Exactly. Right? At least. 
because they're not, I mean, they're they, not going to be cheap. They either. wouldn't talk pricing at all at the event or packaging or you know or whether they're going to be you know how they're going to deliver this stuff in terms of where you buy a, a, a SkyCube silver box, I think they call it silver box, along with SkyQ mini boxes. Will it be part of a SkyQ broadband server? Because there was also a Sky a new um, router. router, thank you, uh, which would turn the minis into um, hotspots, Wi-Fi hotspots. Yeah, so we had no idea about all this stuff yet. But, I mean, you're right. I can't imagine it's going to be cheap. And with 9 million subscribers, they don't need to subsidise this either. You know, existing subscribers, they don't need to subsidise this. This will be a premium service. They'll get away with charging quite a bit of money, I would have thought. Yeah, definitely. Um, in terms of the box, the actual specs at time of launch the in the press release said it had an HDMI 1.4. Now, we see... I think, Which I think it's misleading. Yeah, well, I think everybody's getting carried away with this because it's Sky that's providing the service here. It doesn't. Yeah, ha- it doesn't have to be two point zero. Or, or doesn't have 2. to. Be. It doesn't. Um, can they do a four K at fifty hertz one point four? I don't think you can. Can you? Right. No, 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 you don't. So, no, you don't. But there doesn't need to be this panic that it has to be two point two and, and two point zero because it it just has to be two point zero. Uh, I think so it, surely it has to be two point two to get past the TV's HDMI input. Only if it asks for it. Yeah, is it not? It's not device. It's um, display. Sorry, it's actually source, isn't it? That yeah, it's it's source. It's source that does it. So I mean, I've got a four K projector here at the minute, and I can put anything through that, and it's accepting it because it's not. It's the source material. So if I had a four K Blu-ray, it'd have to be two point two because it'd have to talk to it and say, "Are you compatible? Can I play on you?" Type of thing. But mm-hmm. if Sky are, are handling the content, they don't need two point two unless they want copy protection. I mean, I think there was a lot of yeah people getting carried away. This service hasn't even launched yet. It's not launching until next year. So, you know, and I'm and I'm sure Sky have thought about this in terms of how to deliver 4K content. So let's not get uh, carried away. Yeah, well, when I asked them the question, they said, yeah, it will do 4K. It will be upgraded next year. Yeah, yeah, and that's what, that's all they're going to tell you as well. And, you know, there wasn't any interview staff or anything like that because they weren't going to sit down and, and tell you anything in an interview because they wanted to save that to next year. This was just basically so BT and they're getting a run on everything with their Ultra HD yeah. service. This is Sky saying, well, this is coming next year. It's all fine, dandy. It's going to do this and that and that. And, but we're not talking about anything else other than promoting what this should be. Exactly. It, it's definitely a, a holding you know, holding card personal announcement, isn't it? Like, we've got all this stuff. Don't worry. You know, don't, don't go rushing off to BT because we're going to be doing it too. But we wait to find out how, you know, how they're going to deliver it, how much it's going to cost and when. It was, no, was no indication of when. No, no, early I mean, even even Q, yeah, even Sky Q is like it'll launch early next year, and 4K service sometime next year. You know, that could be next November, <laughs> could be a year. You know, you don't know yet. You just don't know. But um, but uh, certainly in terms of the service that they showed, uh, it looks slick. It, it, it kind of delivered what people have been asking for in terms of how the platform should work and access, accessing content. Uh, you know, recommendation features, that kind of stuff. So you know, it's delivering all of that. In terms yep. of the, spec, the technical specs, well, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, but again, you know, if you've got Netflix, you've got Now TV, and you've got um, Amazon, do you need Sky Q? Unless you're a big sports fan, I think you're, you're better suited elsewhere, you know? That would personally be my opinion. opinion. Yeah, I, I, wouldn't, um, I wouldn't be invested in all the multi-room boxes, for sure. I'd just buy myself a dedicated streamer and, not, you know, and, and use something else to access whatever I wanted to watch. Yeah, I mean... I, I gave up Sky well, 18 months ago now. This did not in any way make me think, oh, I need to subscribe again. Because I'm looking at this and this looks like £100 a month. Easy. Yeah. My bet is it's going to be 399 on the hardware on the most expensive package. Which would be, I don't know, 100, yeah, 100, £110 a month. Yeah, I think it would be about that, 1200 quid a year. Yeah. Mm. 
it'll be interesting to see what happens next year because uh, you know Sky have had a not quite a monopoly, but certainly they've had a near monopoly in terms of sporting coverage on the big stuff uh, for some time, and and it's and it's been a world where broadcast was key, and everyone happened to get a satellite hey, dish. Don't, don't, now don't now we're moving not, into yeah. a internet delivery platform kind of um, paradigm, and. You know, are they still going to be valid next year? Yeah. Well, the, the big question was the 4K service. Is that going to be over the air or is it going to be IP based? Mm. Which I don't, we think just any, don't know, do we? I, I, think, I don't think anybody even asked that question, did they? Or, or did you and get a blank face? Or no, what? They, weren't, they weren't going to answer that question. No. Like I said, they weren't talking. Any, aside from saying it's coming next year, that they would not say any more about the 4K service. In fact, when I tried to answer questions, were like, is this going to be a 4K question? Yeah. Okay. Well, we, we can't say any more than that. So, okay. Right. Really? Well, that kind that kind of lets you know where things are, really. Then, doesn't it? Because it's going to be well into next year. Then, if that's the case, and uh, like I say, I mean, one time not in the, the too distant past, I would have been all over this. Um, a, quite a quite a big Sky fan. Um, but then compression issues started. The movie channels became unwatchable just because of the compression that we're using. I mean, any dark scenes just became a blocky mess, yeah. unbelievably bad. And then they did the same with sports. Sports have started to 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 leach the the bandwidth there as well. You're not able to put a satellite dish up, are you? No, but I wouldn't anyway, I don't think. I'm not that bothered. Um, as long as we get Ultra HD Blu-ray, we'll be all right. So, so that's what you're pinning all your hopes on. And, and if you look at Sony's release schedule... <laughs> all my eggs in one very leaky basket. You are going to be watching the Smurfs 2 in 4K. I, I've, I'm really jealous of you, Steve. I really am. What a terrible lineup that was. It really was. It was quite funny that Warner did that whole tie-in thing. Um, it was it was part of the, the voodoo... Um, news story that was uh, US centric, but it mentioned w- what titles Warner were going to have on there, and you know that that's their lineup for for Ultra HD Blu-ray, yeah. and it's it's a far better it's slightly lineup. better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's going to have to live on the big blockbusters, isn't it? For it for its first six months, there's going to have to be Spectre and a few other big titles in there. Uh, Star Wars has to be there. Yeah, a um, lot of a lot of this is going to rest on Disney's shoulders, I think. You know, because they've got Star Wars and Marvel. Yep. So if they can put those out on Ultra HD Blu- Blu-ray, then that would really give the format a boost. But if they're not that bothered, then it's going to struggle. Yeah, because it, uh, it needs those big titles. Yeah, I mean, just look at DVD. I mean, DVD came out in 97, but it didn't really shift until The Matrix was released in 2000. 99, yeah, 99. That, 99 that, well, that was the first really big million-seller disc, wasn't it? Yeah, that was, that was the yeah. one that really pushed. Because I didn't buy a DVD player until that disc came out. Because I was still of the nope, laser disc better. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> I, I, I spent a first... fortune on laser disc. No, I'm not going to DVD. Yeah, <laughs> got my first DVD player in March 1997, and I had a DVD of C- Canada Board of Film or something animation shorts. That was my first DVD. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then no. I got, uh, but then, uh, and then I got a friend who lived in the states because remember they were only selling. Um, Warner titles, five or six Warner titles, only available in certain cities cities in America. I had a friend who lived in New York, so I got him to go down and buy me Michael Collins, Blade Runner, and a few others, posted them over to me. Um, And also, uh, Columbia, Sony, had had released a couple of titles, one of which was in the line of fire. So I bought that, and that was my first watching an anamorphic DVD on a widescreen TV, because I had a widescreen TV. And that was within five seconds of putting that disc on, it was like, yeah, sod laser disc. <laughs> We're moving on now. Yeah, <laughs> and a then massive if, difference. If you look at Blu-ray, things happen quite quickly with Blu-ray in terms of the big titles, like Star Wars and Indiana Jones and that kind of thing. came yep. very quickly. 
um, to that format. So you've got to think that with 4K, if they want that to be a success, I'm starting to talk like Steve. If they want that to be a success, then uh, it, they have to have some big hitters straight out of the box, I think. I guess we'll hopefully find out more in January. Yeah. Well, in, in, uh, well buy me. What's so are you going to buy the you're going to buy your Smurfs 2 and your player as soon as you get back from CES then? Uh no, I'll probably give Smurfs. I've, was there anything at all in that Sony lineup I'd be interested in getting? Not really. <laughs> no, you, I mean, Not, even even the titles you think, well, they've looked at it and said, well, that, that, that'll sell quite well. Will Smith title, but it's Hancock, so that's not going to sell very well. Yeah. And Spider-Man, well, unless you've seen the, the rebooted franchise, which I haven't, I've deliberately stayed away from it. There's nothing there that really stands out, no. I actually watched um, Bad Boys 1 and 2 over the weekend because they were released on... Actually, Bad Boys 2 had never been on Blu-ray before, so it was a... All right, it's available now, is it? Yeah. it's a, You have to buy the two together, but it's available now. So I watched them back to back. All I can say is Martin Lawrence must have the best agent in Hollywood because how the hell did he get star <laughs> billing above Will Smith in Bad Boys 2 when yeah. at the time Will Smith was arguably the biggest star in the world? <laughs> it yeah. must have been some kind of holdover deal from the original Bad Boys movie when at the time he was better known as a film star than Will Smith was. He was obviously a TV star. Has, has, has he worked since Bad Boys 2? Well, well, Martin Lawrence? Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, even even at the time of Bad Boys Two, his career was on the wane. How how he got star billing above name first above Will Smith? God only knows. That guy must have the best agent in Hollywood because that's just ludicrous. Yeah. Um, and it's also quite funny watching the two films. You see Michael Bay's style adapt, change somewhat from relatively low key, you know, flashy, slightly MTV ish Bad Boys to way, way over the top Bad Boys 2. He, he almost becomes a parody of himself. He's a he? total parody of himself. Yeah. He's got the, you know, the 360 degrees, the low angles, the helicopter flying overhead, uh, you know. Super slow mo. Sorry? Super, super slow mo. Super slow mo, um, really gratuitously uh, over the top shots, like the one where they're having a gunfight and the camera's just going round and round and round the room. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it looks cool, but you're thinking like that must have been expensive and difficult to do. Um, I think it was at the time was a huge, it was like 120 million it cost back when that was a lot of money. Uh, yeah, but um, anyway, quite good fun though. I quite enjoyed them. <laughs> you got, you got to say one thing with him, right? Is he put he does put his favourite cars and stuff up on screen. He does light stuff fantastically well, and to be honest, he 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 does think out of the box when it comes to camera angles and and using the camera or a crane or a dolly or like you say a three hundred and sixty degree. I mean, the films might be enough, but but as a spectacle, they're, mm. they're up there definitely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, you've seen it, but at the end when they're driving that Humvee down and just destroying a whole village as they go down through the down the hill, trashing this <laughs> like um you know this slum area in in um, what's meant to be uh, Cuba. It's just it's just so over the top. They're brilliant. A really good car chase though, um, with the guy pushing the cars off the back of the truck at them. That's um, quite good fun too. In a Ferrari. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. He's in, in, the, in the freeway, yeah, and he's, he's yeah, on yeah. the transporter and he's shoving them off onto the. Yeah, I remember that now. Oh, no, it was, it was good. There was some. Obviously, these have been recently been remastered, um, presumably <laughs> for some future. Again, either of those would have been better launch titles than Smurfs too. <laughs> I had, a, I had a bit of a weekend, actually, or a week rather, because I was off. I also watched um, the, the new Sony remastered Fifth Element, uh, Leon and Dracula, Bram Stoker's Dracula, with Atmos soundtracks. And um, definitely in the case of uh, 
uh, particularly Dracula and and the Fifth Element, the uh, the new you know restoration and remastered prints did look a lot better. You could really see subtle detail improvements in detail. Yeah, so. but it doesn't do anything about Keanu Reeves' English accent, though, does it? That's no, dreadful. <laughs> but I tell you what, though, I mean, even even in five point one, I always thought it had a fantastic soundtrack. Um, Dracula. It's a really, really active sound design. There's const- there's constant sounds around you the whole way through the film. That was fantastic and Atmos. <laughs> really good. So top mark to whoever did the uh, redesign on that one. Really good. And I guess those will also be, at some point, <laughs> Ultra HD releases. Right, you, you would hope, seeing as they've gone to all the trouble. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that, that was another thing with Sony. Where's Launch Arabia? You would have thought that that would have been the star title to for Phase 1. Because that was an 8K to 4K, wasn't it? Yeah, so that's going to look stellar in 4K, isn't it? Whereas a lot of other stuff won't look... I mean, guys, I mentioned this in the forums, but they're absolutely right. A lot of these 4K um, uh, transfers won't actually look that much better, I don't think, uh, for various technical reasons. In terms of resolution, yeah, because, I mean, you just have to think of something like Sleepy Hall, which, you know, it's deliberately shot with Vaseline all over the lenses. (laughs) Not literally, but it has a very soft look, and and there's a lot of different looks. Uh, Spielberg... Um, blows out a lot of the highlights and stuff like War of the Worlds and uh, Saving Private Ryan really blowing out and, and um, aggressive look and prints and stuff. Um, as long as we see it as it's intended, I mean, the resolution isn't the whole story and never has been. And, and as as calibrators, you know, we'd always put resolution at about number four on the list. Yeah, after other things. Uh, after other things. So, you know, it's not the be-all and end-all resolution. The, the big thing with, with Ultra HD Blu-ray is going to be the wider colour spaces to DCI, hopefully. Um, along with HDR, when it's done correctly, it looks sublime. Um, that's where That's where the payoff is. With this new format, it's not necessarily resolution. I think because we call it 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray, a lot of people automatically think it's resolution is is the big number one thing. Well, no, there's, there's there's more than resolution, and it, and it's the other things that added to the resolution, which is going to make it a really must-have format. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but have you, as you say, Phil, Lawrence the Arabia, on the other hand, because it's a 65 mil print to begin with, um, yep. negative to begin with, that should look absolutely. St- Dunning in 4K. Oh, I, I can't wait to see the big the big stuff that has been done. I mean, Warner's did a whole thing recently where they did a lot of 8K scans of 65mm prints, 70mm yeah. prints. Um, did a huge restorations of, I'm trying to think, um, there was The Wizard Oz, there was um, Gone With The Wind. It was also done at 8K, wasn't it? Yeah, um, yeah done quite a lot of the three Technicolor stuff. Ben, ben Ha. Ben Har. Ben Hur, Panama sixty five. Panama Vision sixty five. Yeah, that's going to look stunning. <laughs> um, speaking of which, not Ben Hur, but I watched also <laughs> did watch quite a lot of stuff last week actually. Spartacus, new uh, new remastered disc, and I actually have the old disc, so I was doing side by side comparisons. Uh, I had a bit of time on my hands, and um, it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> too much time on your hands. <laughs> the difference was staggering, staggering difference in amount of detail in the new the new um, Blu Ray. Absolutely yep. staggering. So if you've got Spartacus and the older release, get the new one. It's a it's a light night and day difference. Yep. Night and day. Whereas it was subtle differences with say Fifth Element or Dracula. It's night and day difference with Spartacus. Definitely, a, a lot of the the stuff on the forums is correct. I mean, when you're talking about resolution only, but I guess you know what we're talking about when we talk about Ultra HD. We're not just talking about resolution. You're talking about wider color gamut. You're talking about a more stable image. I mean, just look at an HD versus an SD image. Um, even if you're sitting back where you can't really tell the difference between an SD and 
HD image. The HD image just looks solid. It looks it, it, there's more to it. That just looks um, what's the word? Better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, it, I mean, but even comparing the 4K to a 1080p stream now, then it, it looks. But even on the smallest TV, I had a 43 inch TV last week, um, and even comparing the 4K streaming on that compared to the 1080p from, I think I put the Roku in it, and it, it looks quite a lot better again, even yeah. though it's, you know, it's just a better, it's, you're starting off with a better image, so that even regardless of screen size and the actual resolution, it just looks that bit better. Yeah, and of course you've got to add in uh, your bit depth as well, so we're moving up to 10 yeah. bit, yeah. Um, that just makes a hell of a difference in terms of uh, gradation, colour color stripping and that kind of thing, you know, you're thinking about sunsets and, and so on, where you've got so many different tones, because you've got a wider colour gamut and the higher bit rate, it's just, it just looks so much better, it's so much smoother. There's more to it than just resolution. Definitely. And it's a good job too, because no one would buy it otherwise. So when you're watching the Smurfs too... <laughs> <it's> <laughs> yeah, it might be that <laughs> At least you've got the different shades of blue, you're not going to get any gradation errors. Are you? Colour strip. Yeah. There'll be no band, no, no kind of um, in, the, uh, in the shades of blue, it'll be nice and smooth. Yeah, Continuous. that's it. There you go, you see? positivity um which i guess you know just before we finish up because you're doing uh, some comparison work which we're not going to spoil the article at the minute um mark uh, but you you're looking at 4k netflix versus blu-ray um and and it has been mentioned a few times if 4k blu-ray didn't or wasn't on the horizon you wouldn't be upset with blu-ray would you with with streaming yeah with blu-ray itself just with blu-ray itself in terms of quality no, it looks great. Absolutely not. I mean, like I said, I, I watched quite a few Blu-rays over the last week, and uh, without a doubt, they all they all looked stunning. I mean, I remember I was sitting there thinking, you know, it looks pretty good. <laughs> I've already got you know immersive audio. It's, it, it always. I, mean, I know there are lots of things you can add and improvements to be made, and we've, that you've just mentioned, Phil. But good old-fashioned Blu-ray is still a bloody good format. Yeah, I mean, it still blows me away. I mean, and this is the reason why it's in a separate room, and I only use it very rarely for testing and reviewing and that kind of thing um so so it doesn't take the impact away but every time i sit in front of my scope screen and i'm looking at a, a projector i've got in for a reviewer or the jvc that sits there most of the time and you watch an image in a scope image or a 185 image um because of the way i've set it up there's not a huge difference in terms of image size it's just image width but you're sitting there and you're looking at that and it's blu-ray and you just think that looks damn good that looks super properly calibrated so you're getting you know the full range of the image the full dynamic range but you just look at it and you think well yeah i mean 4k is great and and it looks stunning i've got the sony in there at the minute and i put canada footage through that i've shot myself and i've i've got a few more clips working in 4k now and and you look at it and you think yeah that's absolutely stunning but still watching blu-ray on that kind of that kind of screen size um whether it's e-shift e-shift up or or native 4k upscaled but it just mm. Like you say, Steve, you think sometimes you pinch yourself because we remember CRT projectors and the first digital CRT projectors. CRT with, with a NTSC laser disc yeah. on a big screen. Yeah. Oops. Yeah, and you think how far we've come in 15 years. Yeah, you know, absolutely. That, that was 2000. 2000, I had that barco on my, on my ceiling. And, and we're, what, 2015 going into 2016. And night and day difference in 15 years. It really is in terms of quality. And we're all moaning about, you know, you read the forums and we're all moaning about 4K this and 4K that. We are so lucky when it comes to quality. And if you think about it, not only have we got this incredible improvement in quality, but at a fraction of the cost. <laughs> so it's win-win, isn't it, really? Oh, yeah. T- tell me about it. I mean, you, how much you're money talking you spent bad boys, bad boys on Laserdisc, right? I bought yeah. it on Laserdisc, 50 quid. 
US import, 50 bucks. Oh, <laughs> Dear God. Uh, I don't think I paid 50 quid. Who are you getting your deals from? I think it was, I think it was like laser, laser Enterprises, I think. But, um, no, I think I used Ken Crane's. Anyway, but yeah, you'd pay top dollar, literally, <laughs> for... Uh, for for the laserdisc to be imported from the states, and then you'd uh, you know, and it, and like I said, that was a what, not even four hundred and eighty lines, was it? Probably wasn't quite close to that. It was about four hundred, I think. Yeah. It? How, how much lasers? You, you see the thing was though, um, at the American side, when you think about their broadcast TV at the time, which was NTSC, which was really bad. Laserdisc was such a big jump, such a huge jump, even over VHS. Um, you were double doubling the lines with Laserdisc. It was such a big step up. But like you say, when you come to DVD after that, and it was just anamorphic DVD, like you say, it was just a, a, another big jump, and then Blu-ray on top of that. We are so lucky where we are at the minute, and I think we need to remember that when we're sitting complaining about, oh, has it got HDCP 2.2 in? <laughs> yeah, yeah, quite. <laughs> I mean, well, well, Laserdisc, the bit that it really pioneered was digital sound. That was the area where it really pioneered things. Because remember, do you remember getting... Uh, my first Dolby Digital laser disc would have been Clear and Present Danger. Mine's was The Lion King. I vividly remember that demo, which was in Leeds. It was a Bill Hutchison Hi-Fi in Leeds. First time I'd heard 5.1 from Laserdisc, and it was The Lion King. And I bought the Yamaha amp, <laughs> the speaker package, the player, and the disc. Close to four. I'm trying to think. I think grand. Jurassic Park would have been the first DTS. Later, this I got. Yeah, that was first Which DTS one. I'm pretty sure got, that was the um, first DTS one as well. Yeah, in the space of about three months, I dropped four grand on the on updating the laser display and the and the audio side, and then another four grand on a Pioneer widescreen, sixteen by nine rear projection TV. <laughs> it was the size of a piano. <laughs> <laughs> and then getting the guys to because I was a top floor flat at the time, and it was a spiral staircase, so they had to get a special uh, piano mover in to get this thing box up the stairs into the house. But when I'd done the deal on the TV, I got in the discount, I said, you're going to throw in delivery, aren't you? And you're going to turn up and deliver it. Not telling them how difficult it was. <laughs> <laughs> I remember getting, I think the second Dolby Digital Laser I got was um, True Lies. And strangely, last week I read, because True Lies has never been released on Blu-ray. It's available as a non-anamorphic DVD. That's as good as it gets at the moment. So that's just one step up. Uh, it's from... a Jap- Japanese anamorphic with is DTS, a Japanese anamorphic, D- is DTS soundtrack I've got in my collection. But even so, in the US and the UK, it never got a, a non-anamorphic release. No, an anamorphic release, rather. I mean, non-anamorphic, which is barely better than Laserdisc. It's never had a Blu-ray release. And they're talking about the rumours, apparently, that it's going to be one of the first UHD Blu-ray releases. So it's going to like completely jump over <laughs> Blu-ray. Yeah, it's been such a long time since I've seen that now, and I think I've got fond memories of it. And and it's it's like, do I go back and watch it now? Because it might. I'm not just... sure that these days laughing at Arab terrorists is so funny. <laughs> to be honest, I mean, even Cameron admits that probably that joke's wearing a bit thin now. I, I, I think mean, that's, twenty that's, years ago it was a different world, wasn't I, it? I think that's probably one of the reasons as to why it hasn't surfaced on Blu-ray. Maybe, but the abyss, the abyss is also missing an action. Um, um, again. Well, well, maybe that's because it's standard water terrorists that we don't know about yet. <laughs> Underwater aliens. <laughs> Alien terrorists. Well, I think there might be a film in there somewhere, you know. There's a Daily Mail headline. <laughs> uh, anyway, so that's Sky Q. Yeah, a lot of reminiscing on our part. <laughs> yeah, so obviously that wraps everything up hardware-wise. We'll be back in a sec with movie news.
What's it cinema, Steve? Uh, this week, Phil, The Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 2. So we finally come to the end of The Hunger Games um, cycle of books. There was he did the usual thing now, which is to take the last book, make it into two films, pad it out and stretch it out to squeeze a few dollars out of the more dollars out of the audience. Um, and I think it may have slightly backfired because uh, looking at the box office numbers for the weekend, it hasn't done that well. Significantly, it's done a lot. It hasn't even done as well as, as the Part 1 which you kind of think wouldn't do that well because people are waiting for part two. But it hasn't done very well. I mean, it's, don't get me wrong, it's made a lot of money, like 100 million, but that's a lot less than the original Hunger Games and a lot less than Catching Fire made. So it's it's a, been a bit of a disappointment in terms of box office. And I think people are just sick of being, you know, I mean, they're trying to take Harry Potter. Ride, yeah, basically, it's kind of thinking, well, you know, the first part was mostly just people walking around talking and building you know, all filler and waiting for something to happen. And then the second part, even in the second part last night, when I was at the cinema, you know, the first 40 minutes, there's still a lot of walking around and talking and not much going on. Then the last two hours, the last sort of hour and a half is quite action-packed and quite exciting. It, you know, you felt in there somewhere, there's one good film, but not two. Um, and you kind of got the impression Jennifer Lawrence, like, was just really glad when it's over. I mean, her performance was okay, but I know she can do a better performance than that. You just kind of feel like she's like, can we just get to the end of this damn franchise? <laughs> <laughs> just give me my check. <laughs> I'll be off to do some proper acting somewhere else. Um, it, it's it's okay. It's I think if if you're a fan of the of the series of uh, films and possibly the books, uh, um, it works quite well as a conclusion. I like the fact that. Um, you know, they didn't just keep doing Hunger Games each each film. You know, I mean, there is a progression in terms of the story, and this is about civil war and revolution, and uh, it, it's quite violent in places. Uh, it's very grim and dark in places, and it doesn't shy away from killing characters as well, which I like to see. Um, and it gives you a reasonably conclu- you know, satisfying conclusion to, to the story. Uh, so in that sense, it works. I just think it's it suffers from from them trying to squeeze two films out of one book. Um, you know, okay, not as bad as trying to squeeze three films out of one book uh, and one very light, slight book at that. So I'm talking about you, Peter Jackson. But uh, I, I think people are beginning to get a bit a bit pissed off with this now. Um, you know, between uh, Harry Potter, The Hobbit, this, and there's also um, the last book of the um, Divergent series is also being filmed as two books. You know, it, it just smacks of studios trying to squeeze every last dollar out of their audience. And um Maybe we're starting to get a little bit of a backlash there. Because you'd have thought that the last film would have done really well because it's the conclusion and everything. But no, it hasn't done as well as it should have. Uh, maybe that's partly because it's sandwiched between Spectre, which has been doing very well. And obviously everyone's waiting for Star Wars in a few weeks' time. So that may not have helped their case much either. But I just think it's just a, a certain degree of, um, you know, of um, fatigue from the point of view of audiences now about this kind of st- stretching books across two movies. It put me. It put me off the the one before this, Mucky J Part One, presumably. Um, I quite enjoyed the first movie, and then and then when I heard what they'd done, precisely what you were saying, Steve. When I heard what they'd done with this and split one book into two mm. movies. It's just turned me off completely. I've, I've just. I, I really enjoyed no interest in watching it now. I also really enjoyed Catching Fire. I thought that was great. Um, and yeah, I have. I, mean, I didn't even go into. I, did I see? I did see. The, yeah, I did see it, um, Part One at the cinema. But it is. You're right, Mark. Wait till we get Part Two and then watch two together. Make yeah. it into, but then it's going to be a long it's too long half yeah. hours yeah yeah it's i mean it would i think it would have been one if it had just been the one movie it would have been great because he'd have had a nice action pattern when really he brought it to a conclusion and been great tight and well edited you know and, and but now it just feels bloated and overly long um but that's the way of the world unfortunately i mean marketing and and selling you know putting getting bums on the seats is all that matters a lot of the time unfortunately that sometimes overtakes the creative process so uh i think kaz gave it seven out of ten in his review um, and I think he's probably about right. It's not a bad film. It's it's certainly better than the part one. You know, there's some action and things happen in it. 
but but I just felt you know had it been one movie, it would have been a more satisfying conclusion. Were, were they making it up as they went along? Were they making it up as they, what, in terms of the story? Yeah. Uh, I, well, they certainly obviously had to pad. I mean, there's loads of times when you just think that's just there to pad out the running time. You know, like scenes where people are walking down corridors. You know, the kind of stuff you would, if you were an editor, you would cut that out. Let's get to the point. Yeah, <laughs> Let's cut that yeah. scene out. That's need to be there. The, the, the you know, it's like watching something where you cram in all. Like you know, it's like watching a first cut of a film. You know, when they do a first cut of a film, then they prune out all the unnecessary stuff, which end up being deleted scenes on Blu-rays and that kind of stuff. And they prune out the stuff to get to the story, get to the point, drive it forward. It's like watching that first cut where no one's pruned out all the crap. Right, so Peter so, Jackson. Well, cut. yeah, I mean, The yeah. Hobbit. Um, it, it, there was a big story this week on The Verge, which was quite entertaining, actually, because it, it had one of the making of behind the thing behind the scenes yeah, thing. He says he says where he bit. says it, they completely made it up. They didn't know what they were doing. It, there was so little time and all the rest of it. Whereas they had three, four, five years of prep work on Lord of the Rings, um for the Hobbit. Obviously source material to work from in the first yeah, place. With the Hobbit he just jumped on and it got to the point where <laughs> they got to a point where he couldn't make it up anymore so the so they took a break for, for six months. Yeah, I'm looking. I'm getting the disc this week, and I'm looking forward to watching those documentary because it sounds like he's pretty brutally honest about. Well, it's, it's, it's on that that section is on YouTube if you want yeah. to see it because yeah, it's... no, I don't want to. I want to watch it all in one sitting and actually watch the whole thing rather than take it out of context. But I totally agree. I mean, obviously not only that, but then they made the decision to go from two films to three films whilst they were in production, and there's large chunks of the second film. You know, they're just padding it out, just trying to think. Oh, we've got to keep going for another couple, another hour here somehow. Um, yeah, I mean, there's no question that that. Two films was pushing it. Would have been a great one film. Nice and tight, get to the point. Two films, okay, maybe you could put in some extra stuff from outside of The Hobbit, you know, from the Lord of the Rings appendices to pad it out. But three films was taking the piss. Yeah, it? It really but, but then he did, he did that with King Kong as well. I mean, it was a love story to the original, but he just it took it too far. And even the cut-down version, it was still three hours odd long. Mm. Um, and then the extended version's even longer than that. And, and again, it was a lot of stuff that, that could have been... You know, if you'd had a, had a decent editor in there who was was not going to be scared to, to, to actually cut stuff away and, and make it tight, it, it would have been a far better film. And, and, you know, The Hobbit, like you say, one film or, or even two films, would have been super tight if it was just a lot of this stuff thrown away and, and it just got to the point. Although I'm looking forward to seeing the extended cut of the third film because that is the one exception where I thought, there eh, seems to be a lot missing out of this one. Where, you know, the characters are barely in it or you see them for only literally a few seconds. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I watched it on the plane and, and, like you say, there's one character who's on screen for like 30 seconds and you think... I mean, literally. I mean, is, I'm is not, that's not even an exaggeration. Yeah, I think and, and it's about 30 seconds. And there's some other, you know, little and stories. And that's a major character from the second film. Yeah, and there's, <laughs> and there's some story arcs there which don't pay off because in the third film, it, it's not until right at the end where something happens to that character and you're supposed to feel sorry for the character and you think, well... I don't feel sorry because I didn't see that there wasn't enough development of that storyline. Yeah. You know what I mean? And there was lots of instances of that where they kind of forgot about stuff and, and then thought in the fact, oh, we need to we need to tie this up, we need to tie that up and, and you know, wind this up and, and there wasn't enough payoff. And you think, well, there's such long movies, surely they time to pay off and, and, and do a little bit more development work. But then when you see them in a documentary saying, oh, we're making it up as we went along, it kind of, <laughs> kind of figures. Yeah, yeah, it's a real shame. Um they, they, he dropped the ball badly on that film and, and I think ultimately I mean okay, you can blame the studio for wanting to make three rather than two films but he's the writer director and producer so but you see the other. context was that he didn't have the time because Del Toro walked as quickly as he did 
he was kind of... It was they had Del Toro, the screenplay that he wrote with Del Toro. Well, yes, that's what they had to work with and the sets and everything else. They didn't have a lot, hell of a lot of time as such. So it was a bit of a mismatch of what had been pre-planned for for their version of the film against what Jackson wanted to do and he didn't have the time to do it. He had, I think he had six six months prep, which if you think it, it took four years for Lord of the Rings, six months prep, and you're prepping something where people are having to go back and rebuild sets and redo this and redo that, then there was only one outcome really, wasn't there? And, and we've seen that. I think it's got other problems there as well. Too much reliance on CGI. Uh, I think that's partly, partly because of the whole shoot it and hope and fix it later approach. So probably just shooting stuff and thinking, yeah, well, we'll, we'll sort it out later with CGI. And well, that, that's, um, what's his face? There's a bit where Andy Serkis, it says all he was doing as a second assistant director was shooting B-roll. There was a period where he was just shooting B-roll of people fighting. He didn't know what the context was and what was happening and all the rest. Of it. And then he said, he, he felt so much better when somebody came in and said, actually, we're just going to take a year off now. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, don't, we don't know what we're doing. We're taking a year off. Yeah, I think it's going to. I'm looking forward to getting the disc um, because I think it's going to be an interesting. If they're genuinely honest about about how it went down, then that will be an interesting documentary to watch. Because uh, if only a cautionary tale for don't start huge productions with no scripts finished and no idea what you're doing, and don't suddenly make a decision halfway through filming to make it into two, three films rather than yeah, two, because that yeah. just seems like a recipe for disaster. Really. It, it did. Uh, it did make its money back, though, didn't it? Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, I think I did a piece about how it made three billion, but everyone, it, but it made three billion dollars or nearly three billion dollars. But you can be considerate a failure, and uh, not financially, I guess. But then again, having said that, I think it cost nearly a billion dollars. <laughs> so even with three billion in the bank, that's not actually that much. Yeah, it's, it's just it's just washing its face a little bit more. Between. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, so that's the Hunger Games: Mock and Jay, and um, part two. Um, Kazi's review is up on the front page. Uh, it'll still be there when you listen to this podcast. Go and have a read of it. Um, also coming this week, opening up at the cinema, Bridge of Spies, Black Mass and The Good Dinosaur. If you were to pick one, Steve, to go and see, I guess it'd be Spielberg's Bridge of Spies. Easy to it? answer because I'm seeing it tonight. Um, Bridge of Spies, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've got to say, it does that- look really good. And, and <clears throat> although I'm kind of sick of Hanks, <laughs> um, I, he actually he, he looks all right in this and from what I've seen so far. So... Um, I'm not going to the cinema, so I'll see it when it comes out in disc. I think it's his first Spielberg's first film since Lincoln, so it's been a few years since he's done a movie. So yeah, uh, yeah. it had really good, universally good reviews in the States, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, Black Mass, I was interested in, um, but it was a choice between British Spies and Black Mass. I, decided, I mean, I'm a little bit sick of Johnny Depp, even though people say Johnny Depp is superb in Black Mass. I kind of got a bit sick of Depp over the last few years, um, so British Spies is the one. The Good Dinosaur, that's the new Pixar movie. Uh, where it's an alternative universe where the asteroid doesn't hit the Earth 65 million years ago and wipe out the dinosaurs. So um, I don't know. That, it didn't look That's the one I'll probably see at the cinema. That's the one you're going to be seeing, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't look very... I didn't like the look of it in the trailers. Um, it's got dinosaurs in it. It's a winner. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it kind of just looked like... An, I mean, obviously... I haven't seen it, so I'm judging this purely upon a trailer, which really didn't... See. And particularly coming off the back of what we're about to talk about on the Blu-ray roundup, it just seemed like a step backwards compared to what they've been doing recently in terms of um, films. So, okay, but so, that's on Friday too. So Blu-rays, uh, we've got Southpaw, Inside Out. So both of those uh, reviews are up on the homepage right now. Go and have a look at them. Uh, you also got Roger Waters, The Wall, and uh, The Hobbit, Battle of the Five Armies. If you were to pick one, which one would you pick, Steve? Ooh, uh, well, Inside Out. Inside Out is fantastic. It's a brilliant film. It's a, I mean, it's a fantastic Blu-ray. Stunning. Obviously, it's Pixar, so it's 
picture quality and sound quality are, are, are 10 out of 10 for both. The 3D is excellent. It's, it's, it's got loads of extras. Um, and it's a really, really, really good film. It's easily the best film Pixar I've done since Wally. So, um, you know, for that reason alone, it's worth checking out. No question about it. Southpaw is fun if you like that kind of thing. Roger Waters of the Wall has a, an awesome Atmos soundtrack. Absolutely awesome. Um, haven't got The Hobbit yet, so I actually can't comment on that. But um, I've seen the film and I wouldn't bother. Uh, but that was the last concert I went to was Roger Waters the Wall. Did you go and see it? Yeah, I did in Manchester. Yeah, a friend bought me oh, a ticket. Right. I had a, unfortunately, I had a stomach virus, so I didn't enjoy it. That's <laughs> much well, um, it looks um, it's shot scope ratio, Phil. Um, uh, it beautifully uh, they filmed the concerts really well and the soundtracks. I mean, it looks stunning. So uh, lucky you, Mark. I wish I I was didn't go for some reason. I'm a huge Roger Waters, Roger Waters fan, but some reason I didn't go and see it. It was, yeah. it was it was an incredible. Really actually. regret not going there. Sound quality was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. Well, I mean, and the show, the whole show was just it was quite it was something else. Was, was that the arena? Was it? Um, Manchester uh, was it arena? Yeah, it must have been the arena. Yeah. And it sounded good. The, it sounded, the master, the master yeah. done some work there because he bought so, his own, all his own stuff, didn't he? Yeah. yeah, yeah, but that is that is one of the worst. I was right. I was right. The, I was right near the front, right in right. front of the. Okay. I wasn't up in the gods or anything. I was right, I was on the ground floor, right in front of the the sound system. So it was, right. it was pretty. Oh, well. There you go then. Uh, but it is. It's one of the worst sound venues I've ever been in. Really, that in Glasgow's NEC, um, or the Glasgow is SEC. It's called. Um, uh, yeah, terrible, terrible sound. Anyway, moving yeah. on. Uh, new DTSX titles announced: uh, American Ultra, Sicario, and The Hunger Games: Mockingjay Part Two. We just talked about. These are Blu-rays that have been announced, and I'm and I'm assuming that this is these are US releases. Yeah, yeah. So the American Ultra US release, which I think is actually this week, um, that's going to have a DTSX soundtrack. Sicario, which comes out at the beginning of January, we have DTSX soundtrack, and The Hunger Games: Mockingjay Part Two was actually mixed in DTSX for the cinema, which must be the first I've heard of anyway. Um, I mean, now these are all Lionsgate movies. So this is only one studio that's actually doing this at the moment. Um, so before anyone starts going, oh, it's here at last, just the one studio. And they're also the only ones that have done any discs so far, which is Ex Machina, the, the, the currently the only, until this week at least, the only DTSX disc that's been released. And again, that's Lionsgate. So, um, but it's interesting that they're, they're starting to talk about, you know, Mockingjay Part 2 being mixed for the cinema and DTSX and some object, but basically it's an, uh, you know, open format object based uh, mix. Uh, and I think that's part of DTS's approach is to try and position themselves as being, you know, free of the licenses, license fees that um, Dolby would charge for Atmos. But Right. And uh, these releases in the UK, would they be handled by the same studio or is it a distributor? Ah, uh, you see, that's the thing. Lionsgate, um, it might be different. I'm not sure because they're a smaller studio than they might. But because uh, because X Machina in the UK is not DTSX, but yeah, it, is it in isn't. The US. No, um, they with their Atmos releases, they have been the same in the UK. So, um, mm, be interesting to see what they do here uh, with those films. You're right, X Machina wasn't, was it? It's only in the US that it had a DTSX soundtrack. Yep. I mean, you know, it's a bit moot at the moment because it, <laughs> there's no DTS decoders yet. Um, uh, and that's looking like, I mean, from what I've heard, the first sort of DTSX capable um, processors are going to be hitting stores. And these are going to be really expensive, by the way. There's all the really high end stuff in January. And then end of January, apparently, um, Denon and Morant are planning to, to start upgrading their receivers to um, DTSX. And that will be uh, filtered out throughout their entire range throughout the course of um, sort of February and March. So. That's currently the plan, but that might be delayed again. I don't know. But currently, late January, before we even have the ability to listen to DTSX anyway. 
Okay, um, we were going to talk about the new Marvel series, uh, Jessica Jones, um, arriving on Netflix, but we've run out of time. So you'll have to read Steve's review, yeah. which is going to get finished this afternoon and will be up on the site by the time you listen to this podcast. And that is it from the AV Forums podcast for this week. My thanks to Steve Withers. Where is my super suit? And Mark Hodgkinson. We get there when we get there. Don't forget, you can also follow us on Twitter and Facebook, bookmark AV Forums for latest reviews, news and video. And of course, like we did at the start of uh, this episode, if you leave us five stars on iTunes, if you enjoy the show, obviously, it does help us climb up the charts, be seen on the What's Hot pages and so on, gets more people involved in the podcast, gets more listeners, and we'll read your name out at the start of the show if uh, if you give us a five stars. I'm Phil, and thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you again next Wednesday. Wednesday.